The Power Connect podcast is brought to you by InnoWatts. Discover the InnoWatts difference today. So the nice thing about libertarians is that you don't like either of the two parties. So off the bat, you can agree with anybody, right? Because, I mean, I mean, most people don't like one of the two parties, right? So you can just, just lean on that, go to where they're at, and I mean, from there, start, you know, exploring other ideas, right? Welcome to the Power Connect Podcast. I'm your host, Fred Davis, episode 49 of the program, rolling along on a Sunday Funday edition of the show. Why a Sunday Funday? Well, we'll tell you why. Number one, we've got Jaime Diaz, railroad commissioner candidate of the Libertarian Party. He's joining us today, talking all things libertarian, as well as what got him into the race, what he's up against, and what you might see him do if... He's elected, right? Got an uphill battle. We'll talk with him about that. Sunday Funday part number two is the fact that uh, your Houston Astros, and I say your as of this, a lot of you are here in H-Town, which, uh, look, maybe some of you are, some of you aren't, but at the very least, we know that Houston is the energy capital of the world and is now home once again to the World Series champions, Houston, who won in 2017, much maligned, of course. We all know about the uh, cheating scandal. Everybody's doing it. But hey, that's another story for another show. But hey, look, they took care of business last night. So uh, shout out to all my Houston Astro fans out there and baseball fans. It was a good series. But uh, to all the Houston Astros out there, God bless you. And hey, you guys are now World Series champions. And real quick, real quick, not to belabor the sports point, but I got to give a shout out to all my Kansas Jayhawks out there. Why? Because we just punched our first bowl bid in 14 years. That's right. Kansas football. We all know what we do on the hardwood, defending national champs, but we're also bowl bound for the first time in 14 years. So before we get to our boy Jaime Diaz, I want to tell you a little bit about my podcast partner, uh, Inna Watts. We've got a tremendous webinar going down on Thursday that we're very excited about. Finding a rhythm, forecasting, and innovating in a renewable age. Listen, infrastructure improvements and technology advancements are dominating the way energy is generated and consumed. But how has forecasting kept up with the changes? InnoWatts' very own Chief Innovation Officer, Krishnan Kasivi-Swanathan, sits down with Ruzbay Amirazodi, Head of Supply and Portfolio Management at Rhythm Energy, on how forecasting is as complex as ever with an energy landscape that grows more diverse by the day. The webinar goes down on Thursday, November 10th at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central. Go to InnoWatts.com to learn more about it. And of course, you can also follow us on our LinkedIn page as well to sign up for the webinar. Spots are filling up fast. I mean, not that it matters because it's a webinar, so as many people uh, as need to be there can be there. But we did a dry run on Friday, and I'm telling you right now, the information is going to be valuable. This thing's going to be super informative. It's going to be quick hitting. We're going to take questions as well at the end. So I promise you this will not be your typical blah, blah, blah webinar. It's going to be a lot of good information and a lot of information as far as how data is helping pave the way in different facets of the forecasting space. So you definitely do not want to miss that. Go to innerwatch.com, follow us on LinkedIn, and of course, Rhythm Energy as well. All right, let's get right down to today's episode. Mr. Jaime Diaz, Libertarian candidate for the Texas Railroad Commission. A couple things we get into. Well, we get into a handful of things, really. But uh, how he went from the couch to a school board race in his native Brownsville, and that's kind of got this 26-year-old his whole political career started, so to speak. Uh, the challenge of being on the libertarian ticket obviously gets into a lot about that. We also talk about why orphaned wells continue to be a problem and how if we can fix that problem, then it paves the way for fixing and updating the database issue that's also going on with the Texas Railroad Commission. And then finally, we have him give his pitch as to why folks out there should A, take the Libertarian Party 
seriously and why Jaime Diaz is the man to fix the problems that are the Texas Railroad Commission. So without further ado, please welcome to the program Libertarian candidate for the Texas Railroad Commission, Mr. Jaime Andreas Diaz. Hey, Fred. Well, my name is Jaime Andres Diaz. I'm running for Texas Road Commission with the Libertarian Party. It's actually been a kind of a long story on how I got here. I graduated from college in 2019 as an engineer, moved back home to be closer to my family. And uh, little did I know, a year after graduating, I ended up, you know, like everybody else, being unemployed. And I was on the couch, you know, watching Netflix, doing, you know, whatever anybody does during during a statewide lockdown. And a friend of mine was like, hey, Jaime, you have to get off the couch, do something. There's a school board election coming up. Why don't you sign up for that? And uh, I, I told him, like, yeah, sure, sure, I'll check it out. At dinner that night, I brought it up to my family. They're like, it sounds like a decent idea. You know, well, why don't you do it? So Googled how to run for school board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, there's three you forms. You literally Googled how to run for school board? <laughs> so the, for anybody wanting to run for any local office, there's three forms. And the hardest part is probably opening a, ba- a bank account. That one. You mean like your own personal bank account or a bank account for the campaign? For the campaign. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, you show up to the bank and they're not used to opening campaign accounts. So that that was the biggest hiccup I had. But, you know, I signed up, um, started started the campaign. A- at this point, I, I, I'm i from South Texas. My dad is immigration law for a living. So so so, 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 so I, I grew up, you know, um, with the immigration issue being very, being very prevalent in my life. And... Uh, you know, that, that skewed me really Democrat. And and when I was reading for school board, they asked me you know, all these questionnaires from all the from all these different school unions. And one of the questions was, was in regards to school choice, right? And I was just trying to be pragmatic and think, well, okay, school choice. If if there's more options for teachers to work at, well, then good teachers can better leverage their, their salary with different employers. Um, kids have more choice in regards to which schools might suit their needs better, and, and the parents can choose that for them. So I mean, I I felt all in all, it, it's a it, it was a, a big plus. The, the issue ends up being that a lot of the benefits with them, with teachers are tied with their current jobs. So if they leave that, they lose their benefits, and uh, and, and teachers are kind of reluctant towards towards pushing forward with school choice. But just in regards to the principle, I liked it. And I think also when you're in for school choice for school board, school choice isn't an issue that you're necessarily overseeing, right? This is this is a state thing that I mean, you could you could have an opinion, but it's not. So you know, I, you won't be in charge of school choice. <laughs> yeah. Should should it get passed? Jaime, how many vouchers should we issue? <laughs> they, they asked me that. Th- th- that cost me a lot of union support, but I mean, th- th- that was fine. Either way, we were running our own race. We were taking no money from any vendors from BI from 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 the school board, which we're doing the exact same thing with, with this campaign uh, for for railroad commission. I think I was the youngest candidate ever to run for 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 a local ISD. We got second out of uh, out of third right so we were we were the sadly the first loser and uh and and yet at that point i i was pretty disenchanted with the whole political system and and my way to opt out was saying i'm a libertarian now so giving the party 25 bucks a year (laughs) so wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute so what you you i mean did you think you had a shot at winning and i mean i'm not trying to belittle your your deal but i mean you know you literally got off the i mean you know a buddy of yours said hey bro get off the couch and go run for school board which hey kudos to your friend because of all the things that friends have ever told me about getting off the couch running for a political office was not one of the things that was on the table so you know i mean with all due respect you finishing second in a school board race, when you weren't doing anything, I, mean, I gotta say it's not bad. It's not necessarily anything you should feel bad about per se. No, um, everybody thought we were gonna do awful. Everybody, so, so in Brownsville, in Brownsville, we don't have newspapers. We've got blogs. 
So you've got all these local bloggers that, you know, it's, it's and all the bloggers were, you know, I mean, they, they were saying, well, this kid's going to do, and, 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 you know, you know I, I just try to stay optimistic, uh, stay, stay on, on topic. The other thing I have to add is I would have never ran for school board had it not been during COVID. Because okay. the thing is that it, it's really public when you run for office and it's kind of nerve wracking, right? So the thing is that in my mind, I'm like, well, it's, it's COVID. I don't have to be as public as I would in a traditional race. And that was kind of what got me, you know, to jump in the pool, right? Had, had it not been because of that, I would have probably. You stayed on the couch. Uh, I would have probably, uh, yeah, I would have probably, you know, stayed. <laughs> the best thing that ever happened to you, Jaime. I'll tell you what. This was probably a year after my school board race. I got a call and then somebody left a voicemail. So I called him back and, and, and it was somebody, uh, a member of the Libertarian Party, right? It's like, hey, Jaime, I just saw you were donating to the party, and uh, I just wanted to get to know more about you. And uh, I, I mean, I'm right now starting up my own company, so, so, so I mean, I, I do have some some downtime because because well, what I do for a living is I'm starting up a tire recycling uh, plant. So so right now we're getting the permitting with the TCQ, and that's been taking forever. But th- this was about ten months ago, and he's like, yeah, I just want to get to know about you. So I told him my background, an SMU engineer, uh, moved back home, COVID starts, run, run for school board, and I'm a libertarian now. And that was that, hung up the phone, he called me back two days later, and he's like, hey, you know, we're looking for people to run for office, would you be interested? And I was like, ah, you know, I, I ran for school board, I ran for school board a year ago, I had a terrible experience, and, uh, but, you know, I'll, I'll hear you out, what, what position? He's like, well, we want you to run for railroad commission. <laughs> and, I mean, at this point, I'm thinking, you know, something, I don't know, maybe state, state level, like, state representative maybe uh i was not thinking railroad commission and i'm like look besides knowing it's a misnomer there's oil and gas that that's where my knowledge of the commission ends starts and ends i'm not your candidate and besides that i'm 25 years old because i was 25 back then i'm 26 now and he's like no well yeah all you have to do is be 25 to run for office i mean you're an engineer so you know some basics and you could build build off there and teach you the rest and well well, yeah you, you could figure it out and uh and i was like ah well you know what? And, you know, we're kind of going back and forth on, on the idea. And I'm also bad at saying no to things. Um, so, 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 so my, my way to say and no. may not be a good political. No, or, or, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, not yeah. be a good political characteristic, <laughs> I mean. I've, I've, I've gotten better. I've gotten a lot better. But, but, and, and, and the thing, also, I'm young. So, so I do, tr- I do try to be open to trying new things. And I mean, as, as you can, but. So basically, the Libertarian Party said, look, we need a body for the Railroad Commission. You just gave us 25 bucks. <laughs> You've done this before. You're old enough to know better, or maybe you're not, but you're at least old enough. Why not? <laughs> Let's yeah, throw we, you in the race. So, so we left it at that. If nobody else comes up, I'll do it, but find someone different. You know? And uh, <laughs> this is the best political interview i've ever done in my life let me just say that on the record right now this is the most entertaining political conversation i think i'm ever gonna have for the rest of my life you make this decision two days before the filing like all right look i'll do it i told you i would if y'all didn't find anybody else he didn't find anybody so boom here we go and at this point now you've got to start i mean look you you don't strike me as the kind of guy that wants to go out and humiliate himself right i mean especially after you know so it's like all right i gotta get serious about this because again if you were criticizing what have you and getting instant feedback in brownsville Mm -hmm. 
Okay, now you're opening yourself up to the entire state of Texas. Yeah. And now you're a libertarian on top of it, right? Which libertarians, you know, kind of march to their own drum anyway. So now, which gives you a little leeway in some ways, I would, mm. I, I would think. But um, so what was that process like? Of like, okay, this is not just some small local race. Like, I need to, I, I need to, to bone up on this. Yeah, so, so the first two things that I noticed immediately was um, – there's a lot of groups that are meant to help Hispanic candidates, right? Getting getting into office. Uh, well, Jill Biden had that whole thing when she went went up in San Antonio to talk about, you know, how we're like breakfast tacos and uh, we need more Hispanic representation in office and all that. Um, but um, so, so yeah, I mean, the first thing I did, I'm like, I need some money. Yeah. So so let me let me go talk to these groups, right? So so I mean, I, I reached out to all these Hispanic organizations to try to get some 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 help from them. I'm first generation. My dad's from Mexico City. Yeah. My mom's from Tamaulipas, which is a, bo a border city or a border state from Matamoros. And, um, you know, and the, the thing with these groups is that they really don't like minorities with differing uh, points of view. So they don't mind that you're Hispanic, but as long as you're Hispanic that thinks the same way they do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like I care that you're Hispanic in as so far as you help me propagate my own political agenda. Okay. Right. But if you... Being you know, Hispanic's not enough. We yeah, need, yeah, yeah. We need you to be Hispanic and think the way we do too. Yeah, yeah. That that, that that's basically it. They, they they don't want people with with differing points of views. But um, que lastima. Que lastima. Sí, sí que. But you, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, that that I had a hunch of that when I started, but but whatever. I still tried. Got, exactly. So how'd you find money? So it was actually the same way with my BISD campaign, but, 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 but I'll get there in a sec. And then the other thing that I tried, tried to do is also just try to get news coverage. Yeah. But the thing is that if you try to get news coverage as a third, third party, they will not give it to you. They will not speak about you. So, so it's funny what the news does, because it just not appear to be too biased, right? They'll write an op-ed about the Republican nominee, right? Or the, the Republican candidate. And they'll put all these bad things about him, all these bad things. At the very bottom, they'll be like, and the Democratic nominee is so-and-so. And like basically saying, like, if, if you go to a restaurant and yes, like, what's the wor what's the least bad thing on the menu? Kind of kind of like that whole mentality in regards to politics. The things that if you introduce a third par party into this, then that falls apart, right? Because, because now, now the least bad option is, you know, the Democrat or Republican or Libertarian or Green Party or, right. you know, one of the one of the four. So, because when you're young, nobody takes you, takes you seriously, which is it's one of those things that, I mean, it's, it's, it's bad, but I mean, you, you play with the deck that you're, you're, or the hand that you're dealt, not with the hand that you want. So what I ended up doing, doing is, is, is I gave myself a loan. So you give yourself a loan. And then once people start seeing your stuff out there and in your website and all this, now people, because they say that you're serious, are more willing to, to start loan, uh, giving you money, right? So the idea ends up being that, that you front uh, your campaign, the money through a, through a personal loan, yeah. and then hopefully you end up getting be, being able to repay yourself. I probably won't be able to repay myself, but but I mean it, it's it's okay. This is kind of like a like a little graduate or math, master's degree. Irrespective, we're gonna stop fundraising on election day. Yeah. So so win or lose, we're, we're not we're, we're not gonna be taking take any money af after that date. But but um, yeah, and that's the other big thing that, that that when you're as a third party, you don't have access to, to the big. So I mean, these big parties they've got, they've got big databases with donors, with interests of their donors, and with past political contributions, right? So if I'm running for office, I go on their database. You know, I I, I can check. There's Jaime. Know, they gave twenty five bucks. Yeah, here's Jaime. Yeah, <laughs> I can see your. Oh wait, that was me. Never mind. I've already loaned myself <laughs> ten grand. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, if you're running with these big parties, I mean, you use their their whole their whole, the whole machine, right? And you're like, hey, you know, hey, Mark, 
I see that you've given thousand dollars in the past. A big issue of yours is abortion. You know, I'm, I'm so and so on abortion. I'm asking for uh, for twelve hundred dollars, right? And that's basically what all these candidates do at the state level. You sit down, make fundraising calls, show up to events in person. And they have whole teams working on their social media, on their on their um, how do you say it? Their press releases, mm-hmm. all this other stuff, right? But if you're anywhere with a big party, most of the time you spend you spend just just fundraising, right, with these big databases. Since since the Libertarian Party doesn't have that, you know, I, I was calling my deals, my tias. Um, you know, I set up a little donor box link, uh, pushing that on Twitter. And yeah. you're getting it through, and you uh, also put a Bitcoin link on there as well. I, I, I put, so you know, I appreciate that. Yeah, the, the Bitcoins have let me down. <laughs> they, they, they they are not too fond of donating Bitcoin. So. <laughs> At least you got it on there. So what's your platform? So you, look, you're in this race. You're fight. I mean, you literally are fighting uh, David versus Goliath. And hell, I don't even know if you're David at this point. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, you might be the lint in David's pocket. What's your platform and what has been the most valuable lesson you've learned in these last eight, um, nine months? So the, the platform broadly, I, I think, well, what I'm facing my campaign on is One Orphan Wells, right? So... Addressing the the well, it's a two part issue, right? The, the first part ends up being that if you're an operator and you plug a well, you're liable for that one perpetuity, right? So you, you kind of don't want to plug your wells because you don't, you don't want to be the the one that's that might have to you know be watching out for a well that you plugged 50 years ago, right? That now has some issues. So you know the road commission allows all these plugging extensions, and they're also partly subsidized because there's a there's a marginal. Or the, or the stripper well severance tax exemption, right? That that they reduce the severance tax that you pay for for marginal, marginally producing wells. So, what one requiring operators actually do plug their wells in time, which is which that in and of itself is kind of subjective because I mean the profitability of a well depends a lot on the market price, but at least, but at least trying trying to create some some objective framework for for requiring operators to to plug and abandon their wells in a timely fashion, and then. The second part's also to to start requiring uh, full bond or full or uh, that, that that the bonding of the wells actually does cover the full decommissioning liability, right? Which also isn't a simple thing, right? Because I mean, the cost to, to decommission a to plug and abandon a vertical conventional well is a lot cheaper than you know a horizontal well that was fracked, right? right? So, um, so I mean, to an extent, this would require at least the government collecting some kind of data in regards to how much. It costs uh, to plug wells in, in order so that the government could say, okay, we're estimating X amount. You have to put up a bond for X amount for this well, right? I think with the current system, if you've got over 100 wells, they require $250,000 in, in a bond posted, which these, these are blanket bonds, so, so they don't cover the full cost. They, they, they cover part of it, and, and, and I think that covers between 7 to 8% of the true decommissioning cost. So what this results in is that whenever an operator goes bankrupt, then that well is is then transferred onto the state and, and put on their on their plugging list, right? So taxpayers end up paying for it. And in the meanwhile, well, this this well is exposed, and and it becomes a point of contact for or a point of contamination for groundwater. So you've got that issue. You've got the issue with something called P13 wells. So P13 wells, these are old wells that were drilled. They were dry. They were partially plugged up up until they hit the the water level, and then they were converted to water wells. So things that when you convert them to water wells, they, they fall out of the Railroad Commission's jurisdiction and they fall into the TCQ's jurisdiction. And the TCQ is not responsible for plugging wells. So the things, you've got Lake Bomber, right? Which, like Lake Bomber, it was a well that was made by Wildcatters, dry well, partially plugged it. Um, 
they they did the paperwork to make it a water well, gave it over to the landowner to use to irrigate his field. And the thing is that in in the in in the Permian, you have you have a lot of um, uh, pressure control activities, right? So you're injecting uh, produced water back into the ground to 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 maintain your pr your your formation pressure. And the issues of being that you've got you've got these partial these 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 wells that aren't really considered wells on the road commission's books right but but they were drilled with the intention of of producing petroleum or extract extracting fossil fuels so you're pump you're pumping in all this water and eventually i mean this this the the plug might start deteriorating and you get water shooting out of the ground right, right. and this becomes an issue because then when it hits the ground then it kind of falls back on the ground and contaminates the the groundwater so the issue with these P13 wells is that it's kind of in a jurisdiction or in a jurisdictional gray gray area, in which it's not in the railroad commission's purview because they're considered water wells, and the TCQ doesn't have to plug old wells, so it becomes really iffy about what to do with this. Another issue is also the road commission; their, their database hasn't been updated in a, in a long time, or their their the road commission anything past I think it's 1964. All of these old legacy wells—they're not on their their um, online database. They're all, they're all in files. So the thing is that a lot of landowners don't have a good idea of where wells or old wells are on their property, right? And, and this this presents an issue, right? So so um, at least going back to the orphan well issue, the road commission community spends about half their budget, which is about fifty-six million dollars, plugging these wells every single year, right? I mean, I mean, if taxpayers could stop paying for for the for the plugging of these old wells, we could maybe use that same money to update our databases, right? And to get all all those all that paperwork in old storage rooms, um, on on the internet. But but these these are kind of the focus of my campaign. There is the issue with uh, with the 2021 blackout. However, this is a hard issue to I th I guess solve without addressing the entire organism right being ERCOT. Um, personally, I, I, I think that the government should just stop subsidizing any energy system and just let the market kind of uh, work it, uh, work things out. What, what what ends up happening really is that in Texas, you've got a lot of renewable, large-scale renewable projects. So during during the during the day, you, you get the grid flooded with all this solar energy. At night, you, you get it flooded with all, with all these wind, wind energy. The issue ends up being that you still need this natural gas infrastructure to backstop um, in, in case that's not online right the thing is that most of the time they can't actually sell on the grid because because all the all this cheap renewable energy is getting flooded on the grid right the issue is that whenever this power is not available now you need these plants to ramp up to 100 percent and um, this is difficult when they're being demonetized constantly right so because the road commission and the state government can't do anything about federal subsidies for these renewable projects I do think that the Road Commission should pro should work together with the legislator and and ERCOT, which which I guess ERCOT is 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 ran by the PUC, which is then then dependent on the leg on the legislator and executive, in order to require that that any renewable uh, any renewable energy or any energy system in general should should be required to be able to put X percentage of their of their or should be required to be able to produce X percentage of their total um, uh, wattage. During peak peak demand hours, right? right? So this will require renewable projects to invest in either natural gas utilities or in battery systems. Yeah, which a lot of them are, though, right? I mean, we've got. I mean, 
I want to say date said look uh throw these questions out to your boy uh mr jaime and i said absolutely and so i wanted to you know you and i talked about this before so i didn't want to you know pull out any gotcha questions but uh one of the questions he asked what would it take to build more transmission across the state to transport to transport large renewable capacity to load centers Mm -hmm. so in texas it's interesting right because because you've got most of your your power on the east side eastern side of the state and you've got most of the people living on the west, right? So, so, so you've got your Permian uh, out on the east. You've got um, a lot of your wind energy, your solar energy up on the east, and you've got all your people living in the, or I'm sorry, in the west. You have people living, or the energy on the west, and the people living on the east. I always have to do the, I always have to do the, the never eat sour watermelon <laughs> that they taught me back in the third grade. <laughs> to just remember, get my bearings in it. N E S W. Um, well, one thing that we have to do that's important to consider is the fact that that a lot of these renewable projects that w- w- when you're building out a renewable project, you've got constraints, right? One of those constraints being your substations, right? Which uh, that's for the people that don't know. Whenever you transport power, you trans you transport at at a very uh, high voltage, right? And, and, and this is this is just uh, to deal with your energy losses, right, uh, throughout space. So, so if you're doing a high current, most likely your your wire would melt, right. But but the thing is that you wouldn't you not be able to, to transport the electricity very far efficiently. The thing with with uh, renewable projects is that you, you you've got your sub, your substation constraints, which is um, how much how much energy you can convert to the voltage that you need to transport on the lines, how much electricity your lines could actually could actually transport, right. So the, the, these really are interesting quest, questions, which I, I think ultimately they're, they're more like AI questions. How do you maximize um, a single piece of wire to move as much power as efficiently as possible while trying to mitigate as, the downtime? It's not, it's, I, I, I think a lot of the renewable projects are, are creating a lot of downtime for these, for this infrastructure. However, I'm not I'm not sure exactly how the state can incentivize more uptime in regards to to power transmission. The Road Commission right now that has has a backlog of I think 8,000 uh, wells that are that are orphaned, right? So this means that that they're they're trying to get to plugging them. A lot of these wells m- might be venting some 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 amount of methane. The the issue ends up being that. If if you if the road commission has an orphan well on its books, you 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 might let's say you you want to operate that well, right? The thing is that by you operating that well, you assume the full plugging liability of that well, which doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Because mo- most of the valley has already been extracted, right? And besides that, you also don't know anything about the well's integrity if if you if you if you're assuming responsibility for it. So the thing is 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 by requiring this, the road commission also disincentivizes people from wanting to take advantage of these, you know very limited but stranded energy assets right potential so, so i mean one of the cases could be for example bitcoin mining right you can you can mine bitcoin with some of this, with some of this uh the the marginal gas you, you, right. you could also maybe do small scale natural gas utilities well, right the flaring too right in that part of it yeah so so the the, the flaring it, it's it's a capital a capital expenditures issue. so when you're drilling a well you don't know if there's any gas down there right, right. So, so let's say you have five million dollars to drill a well the things that you don't want to do five million plus another million to build out a pipeline in case there's anything in there, right? So, so the thing is that 
you see a trade-off and you're like, okay, I'm going to drill this well once there's, once there's, uh, if I have there's any hydrocarbons in there. In the meantime, you, you burn off the gas because it's not that easy to capture without a system, right? And the, li- and the liquids you start selling. The, the thing is that, I mean, in reality, operators don't want to flare because, right. I mean, because you always want to sell the gas, right? Absolutely. But it's just one of those things that, 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 that it's, it's trade-offs. And, and to be honest, it doesn't really help the issue of flaring when also you're kind of str- strangling the industry off from any forms of, of financing, right? Kind, kind of how, how the, the current system is, is played out, right, to, to restrict financing for, for oil and gas projects. Um, yeah, which that's actually an interesting issue. The the flaring. Um, uh, I was I was I was doing an interview with one of the main newspapers here in here in uh, in Texas, and they like to talk about flaring a lot because they're they're really worried about the environmental implications, right, of, of having this methane in the atmosphere, and they always speak about about how much we flare in net in, in net, right? So it's you know Texas flares X number of uh, MCFs of gas per year, right? Which I mean, with the same logic, you could say, well, Matt. Uh, let's say Walmart has way more accidents per year than your local hardware store. You you would think like, wow, you know, Walmart's a dangerous place to work, right? And the things that if you don't normalize that number, if you how many man hours or I guess person hours, Walmart Walmart works in a year, then you don't actually know how good or bad Walmart is in regards to you know its workplace safety. Mm-hmm. Same with flaring. If you don't normalize that number. Then, then yeah, it sounds like a lot. But the things that we extract a lot of a lot of um, hydrocarbons in the in the United States, things that these groups don't like to to to, to, to talk about that because, well, I, th- I think first off because they're, they're bad at statistics that they don't understand <laughs> normalizing numbers. That's a big deal though. <laughs> I mean, you gotta you know you gotta have context behind those numbers, which you don't always yeah. get. No, 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 and and and, it, and it's and it's, it's it's very it's purposeful. I actually had. One of the one of the newspapers also because I corrected them on that and then at the end they asked me about because they said you're very nonchalant about the flaring issue, and I'm, I'm not. I mean it's a serious issue and we have to take it seriously. However, um, it's it's one of those things in which we we can't necessarily rely on regulation to do so. If you start restricting flare permits, all you end up doing is if if you've got a a, a well that you that you that you um, drilled, you're starting hydrocarbons. Your flaring because you don't have the the infrastructure to capture the gas. They they restrict your flaring permit. You have to you have to shut in your well, so you have to close it off. And the thing is that then that wasn't going to open up somewhere somewhere else in the world. You know, it's going to open up in Russia and Mexico. You can't control how they extract in those countries. You can how you do it domestically. And you know, this, this is a small this is a solution that, that right now is gaining steam. It's it's not as pervasive as people would like just yet. But for example, Bitcoin mining. If you run that same gas that you're flaring, and when you flare, you bring about 70% of the methane, right? You burn 70% of the methane. The other 30 goes into the atmosphere, and then what you burn gets c- converted to carbon dioxide and water. When you run that same methane through a, through a generator to mine Bitcoin, you actually burn 100% of it. And the reason why this is important is because the greenhouse effect of, of, of methane is 80 times stronger than that of carbon dioxide. So that means for every ton of, of carbon dioxide you release into the atmosphere, or I'm sorry, for every ton of methane you release into the atmosphere, it's equivalent to 80 tons of carbon dioxide. Mm. So that's why it's important that you bring it off. And, and this is a free market solution for this, right? The operator gets paid, right? So you're able to monetize that stranded energy, which is a natural gas. And uh, end of the day, you didn't need regulation to do that. You just need to, you know, to let people be entrepreneurial and innovate. Um, 
the the other thing that they told me which i thought was ridiculous and i want to be like you know you should not be conducting this interview <laughs> but they they told me well the issue right now that i see and aren't you concerned jaime is that right now there's europeans that want to buy american natural gas but they're concerned about the flaring intensity to, to extract it and, and it's one of those things that the, the, the myopia of Look, in other countries, they don't have the advantage of discretionary income, the privilege, right, of having money to, you know, to, you know, go and spend on a thousand dollars on a purse. I have, I have no idea what you spend it on, but um, if, if your kid's freezing and, and you're in somewhere in Eastern Europe, I mean, no one's gonna be like, oh, well, you know, I wish I could afford the gas, but I can't afford to pay a 25% premium on this green gas. I mean, it, it's a commodity. Yeah. A- a- end of the day, and people are are are, are going to pay whoever gives it to them for the cheapest and and, and that, that makes sense it's not a luxury good like a purse is um and i mean i told him i was, I was trying to be polite because i was trying to get the endorsement <laughs> and uh i'm like you know there's things in life that sound pretty like for example good things happen to good people bad things happen to bad people i mean we hear that and we smile in the same way that, that we we smile and we hear people are willing to pay more for green natural gas the, the thing is that it, it, it's 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 a lie I mean, pe- people could tell you that. The thing is also, if you're an operator, and let's say your parents are willing to pay you 2x for your gas that you made with marginal flaring, wh- why wouldn't you do it, right? I mean, you're leaving money on the table. But uh, it's one of those things that I don't know, people have to get out of their houses. People have to you know, get out and, and just live in reality. I guess this is a two-part question. One, and, and I know this because I look, I just you're the second libertarian that I've actually had a chance to really talk to in depth. Shout out to my boy Neil Dykeman, uh, who, who we've got a two-parter coming up here pretty soon. Just a little tease for the for the folks out there. A, what is it going to take for us to, or what is it going to take for the general public to take libertarians seriously? Because I think in some ways, some of the libertarian candidates have kind of done the party a disservice because they come across as like, oh, they're a little wacky, and you know, it's it's. <laughs> whatever goes right, um, but I, I, I think there's a lot more discipline to the to, to the libertarian views than what people have thought. Uh, so, a, what's it going to take for for us to take a libertarian candidate seriously, and what is it going to take for our boy uh, Jaime Diaz to get elected? And what would you do if you got elected? So, um, the fir- the first question, I think the problem with libertarians is a lot of the times that they want to pull you to where you're at, as opposed to you going where people are at. So the nice thing about libertarians is that you don't like either of the two parties. So off the bat, you can agree with anybody, right? Because, I mean, I mean, most people don't like one of the two parties, right? So, so you can just just lean on that, go to where they're at, and I mean, fr- from from there, start, you know, exploring other ideas, right? But the thing is that lots of people want to, you know, be how, how do you say edge lord edge lording, right? And and pushing people and pressing buttons and and, and I feel like that. That's a bad way to go about it, especially if you're trying to get people on your side. If you're trying, if you're trying to win the battle, I mean, that's great, but you're going to lose the war. I mean, we, we could lose some battles, and, and we could win the war, but the things that we have to at least be a little bit more agreeable, which I think a libertarians aren't agreeable a lot of the times. And uh, lastly, to if I were to win, if I were to win, one of my priorities would be, one, to get the Road Commission's database up to date. Secondly, at least rework the rules in order to ensure that when operators are going bankrupt, wells aren't getting transferred over to taxpayers. So as of now, the list of 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 abandoned or orphan wells that the road commission has to plug is actually going up, even though we're working the list down because of how many wells we're adding adding to that. So the thing is, at the very least, if if we can get rid of more well more wells getting added onto that list, we can now actually start working that list down, right? So that right there would be huge. 
Uh, and the third part would, would be working with the TCQ to, to figure out a comprehensive solution for dealing with the P13 wells. Then th those were the wells that I was telling you that are these water wells that, or these oil wells that were converted to, to water wells. The, the other issue is that the road commission is a 3% commission, right? So at the end of the day, you do, you do have to work, work with, the, uh, with your other counterparties on the board or on the commission to, 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 to get things done. So th that, that'll, that'll be difficult. Um, in, I mean, <laughs> in general, I give my thoughts on three commissioners, but I feel like that's not, that's not the most pragmatic thing to do. <laughs> but uh, but w what, I, what I will say, what I will say is that in general, Wayne Christian hasn't demonstrated to be anything but just, just a yes man to the industry, right? And, um, and, 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 and I will say that both Christy and Jim are more independent thinkers. Wayne kind of seems to do whatever, you know, the, the, the tides end up telling him to do. And, I mean, some people might like that, and, and that's fine. But, yeah, you know what, I won't reach those people. Same way that I won't reach the woke crowd. But um, things that most people aren't there. Most people are in the middle, and, and that's kind of what I'm focusing on. I'm focusing on addressing those people, you know, cool heads. Um, and, and at the end of the day, I'm not saying I know everything, <laughs> you know. There's a lot I don't, I don't know, but. Final pitch, so, website, socials. The website is vote, the number four, and D is my last name, D-I-E-Z dot com. Fun fact, my last name is actually number 10 in Spanish. So if anyone doesn't speak Spanish, I mean, you just learned a word. And uh, socials, uh, Instagram, vote for the is. Um, Twitter, my handle is at Jaime Andres Diaz, my, my full name. And uh, either way from my website, you, you, you can uh, see all that. And um, no, I, I really I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks a lot for, for giving me this chance to speak. It, it's, it's always, this is honestly the best medium, I think, for third parties to get out there because, you know, the mainstream press will not will not cover any of this. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Jaime Diaz. You can catch all of the Power Connect episodes over at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and then, of course, over at the website, thepowerconnect.net. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, and look, we know that a lot of you do, leave us a five-star rating and listen to most of the program. It helps with the algorithm and helps with distribution. And, hey, we think we do a pretty decent job. And from a lot of the feedback, you guys seem to agree. Look, we've got some great programs coming up. We've got, uh, as we said already, we've got Neil Dykeman. Uh, we got a two-parter coming up with him. Part one is going to come out on Monday. Uh, he's with Energy Transition Ventures and has one of the most storied and exciting careers in the clean tech and energy space. And we're going to talk about all things clean tech with Mr. Neil Dykeman. You think I'm high energy? Wait till you hear my boy Neil. Uh, Sid Kitson from Kitson and Partners. We're going to talk to him. Now, that episode is going to come out in another week or two, but uh, an absolutely tremendous conversation with him and of course uh, Babcock Ranch which uh, is all solar didn't lose any power during Hurricane Ian he's been a big proponent of this for a long time before it was a cool thing to do but uh, we've also got a conversation with him going on uh, Brad Wills from Schneider Electric we're going to be talking to him so many different folks that are coming on here in the next few weeks also too we're going to be at the Reuters uh, Energy Transition Conference here in Houston. And, of course, we've got the webinar coming up on Thursday with InnoWatts and Rhythm Energy. You do not want to miss that. Go to InnoWatts.com and, of course, follow us on LinkedIn as well to know more about that. So, once again, shout out to Jaime, all the guests, all the audience. Thank you guys so much for doing what you do. If you didn't do what you do, we couldn't do what we do. This has been the Power Connect Podcast connecting the energy transition one conversation at a time wake up all the builders time to build a new land i know we could do it if we all lend a hand the only thing we have to